Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person, real or imagined, or the dark forces of Outre-Terre. It is not intended for children. Jack Morrow here. My mother has descended into hell. Damn the Grand Masons, damn the paranormal Pinkertons, and damn you, Control, for giving me the data to track her down. I hurt, and I want to give that hurt to somebody who deserves it. Your next message to me better be a Grand Mason hideaway. Control, you sent me my mother's last known position and I went after her. St. Louis is a sick city, but it's not a fallen city. I've seen fallen cities. Chicago is one. It was corrupt 70 years ago and never recovered. Whatever the great preachers did at the turn of the century, it's all but gone now. There were other old places on the earth, House of Ushers all, and they're just waiting for the right moment to collapse to nothing. I don't know how to fix it. I assume it's a god thing. His will means more than anything I will ever do. I kill monsters. I make them pay for their evil. I don't want to feel about killing monsters. I am a changed man. But I am still angry. I tracked down my mother, but I never spoke one word to her. Nor did she speak to me. In St. Louis, just off the highway, south of the Gateway Arch, is a church. It is still there. I did not burn it down or harm it in any way. It was a Hungarian Catholic church of ancient standing for a 500-year-old city. It is squat compared to St. Louis's many other cathedrals and Protestant churches. Its steeple does not reach past the highway above it. All around are ruined buildings, former factories, drug dens, office buildings, and more. Homeless camps are unseen in St. Louis, but for here, where no cop or honest man goes. I know that the former mayor's daughter sometimes runs charities out of this location, but I do not know why. There are no businesses, whole buildings, or unpotholed streets for many hundreds of feet. The church is the one occupied building in a dead sea of brick. I found my mother's car on the outside. It was an unassuming, not-new Ford that looked beat up and, more importantly, not worth stealing. My Unismasher, the car that led me to win the wild hunt last year, was a more tempting target. I trusted that whoever skulked in the ruined alleys, the broken buildings, and the hills of chaff would stay away from the car of a man who was going to church. I ignored my mother's car in favor of finding her. She never put anything important in her vehicles. The church doors opened easily enough. The nave was dark as was the chapel beyond. It was not ornate, 
but tasteful. There were angels watching over the entrance, well carved. They clasped hands in prayer, eyes shut. I could tell they were watching me. I came armed, but I meant no harm. There was something my mother taught me when she first began training me. People die when they are meant to die. Angels will act to keep people alive. Guns will misfire. Knife wounds will avoid vital organs. While mankind is gifted to die, he is not gifted the freedom from his consequences. A drug addict will overdose someday or be killed as a result of his choices. A drug addict will overdose someday or be killed as a result of his choices. A man who slays monsters will be slain by monsters. A taunted Zeus will be allowed by heaven to throw lightning bolts. A man who mocks angels, heaven, or the Holy Spirit will be removed from protection. When I asked about irony, she made me do push-ups. She had said that a man who spits in the face of God and then is given what he asks for is not experiencing irony. Control, it seems strange to talk about this, but it is important. It is how I live my life. I must be genuine. No smirks, no smiles over strange memories. How can I lie to myself, or God, or you, or anyone, and still be expected to kill the things that serve the Lord of Lies? My examination of the building, its beauty and humble majesty was marred by my urgency. The world was peaceful here. It did not breathe or act or fight, but slept. I could sleep here and wake with a feeling of protection and safety I did not usually know. Even in my most hidden bunkers, my most inauspicious abandoned buildings, I did not know peace like this. I found the door leading to the basement and followed it down. The basement was not so majestic, but it was where the unused majesty was kept on mothballs. I passed angel statues, icons of saints, and crosses meant for special occasions and processions. At the end, there was a furnace and pipes that kept the building warm during the famously unpredictable Midwest winters. Besides the furnace was a door. It was metal, plain, and held great portent. It must rarely, if ever, be opened, but its hinges were well kept and swung open soundlessly. I almost wanted there to be some screech like the damned. Instead, there were stairs leading down deeper into the earth. St. Louis is a city built on a cave system. Mostly it was used for beer storage, but plenty of caves were used for more sinister purposes. The stairway led me deeper than I ever dived into the ancient and strange St. Louis underground. At first, the walls were concrete smooth, and the stairs likewise. Then, perhaps five minutes into my descent, it became rougher, like stone carved in the open air, but skillfully. The stairs were uneven, but walkable. Then, after another long descent, the stairs were little more than stones stacked to mimic stairs. The walls were cave walls, sharper, rougher than you would expect, and crinkled like a man put his finger into the Zen Garden sand. The heat grew, but slowly. 
It was not hot, as a Missourian like myself counts it, but it was warm. I put my hand to the wall and found the rock sweat. At this point, there were marks of graffiti and cave paintings, both modern and ancient signs mixed together so that the tags of rappers I would never listen to overlapped with deer, bison, and megafauna that roamed this part of America 10,000 years ago. The stairs ended in a wide landing that shared its area with several other staircases. At the end, there was a thin woman with fluffy white hair. She looked tired, and her glasses drooped. I was sure she would fall asleep any minute now. There were several bullet holes next to her head. She seemed unbothered by my presence. She bore ram's horns on either side of her head. What surprised me most was that she was dressed as an office secretary in red and black. Another one? She drawled, barely paying attention to me. I'm trying to follow my mother. She squinted at me. Her desk was covered in paperwork. You aren't dead either. I said, neither was she. She rubbed her right horn like someone would rub the bridge of their nose. Listen, sir, I don't need any more trouble. The dead give me enough. If you want to go down to the river too, I won't stop you. Just remember to pay the boatman, okay? She pressed a button and the doors near and behind her cracked open. Are you a demon? We do more than temptation, sir. Who do you think does Hell's paperwork? It builds up. Well, I am free. Are you asking for a temptation? She put a level of flirtation to her tone I had no clue how to handle. I left as fast as I could. The doors were made of night and shadow. It was like looking up into the night sky. I passed through the gap and into the largest thing I had ever been in. I knew the names of things even as I looked at them. I have an inkling that if I were dead, I would not even notice I knew the names or not. The river sticks, black as pitch, rolled through the center of the immense cave. People, shapes that were like people, and ice bobbed within the waters. There were boats floating through it. Karen and copies of him pulled back and forth. Within the boats were people, shades of the living. They were dressed in funeral clothes, strange-fitting suits and dresses. Some fairies held vats of ashes. When they came to one shore or another, the blue-green shades would walk off the boat as if they had stood on the deck. The ashes were tossed into the sticks without ceremony, and the shades did not look back. All whispered to themselves. But I lived such and such a way, or something similar enough each to themselves. No one looked up into the stone and obsidian sky, but all looked down at their feet. Those that were near my mother stayed away, scared of her, or something around her. They hated and wanted life again. The damned were miserable, and they wanted to be miserable. My eyes were drawn to my mother like magnets, and I followed the stony path that went from my feet to the shore to the docks. The docks were rickety, 
just wooden boards nailed to posts sunk into the sticks. Detritus and Flossam clung to the posts, but no grasping hand could keep hold. The boats near were gondolas, or enough like them, long enough to take passengers. The gaunt men on the boats landed, took in those who gave them a token, and threw back those without it. Some of the dead just had a normal ticket, like one would receive on a train. But most had coins. My mother gave a coin to the ferryman, who deliberated over it and her, but let her in all the same. Her face was set, and her eyes did not waver. I shouted to her. She did not turn or act as if she had heard me. I shouted again, nothing. I pulled out my gun to fire around, nothing. The 1911 fired, but the gunpowder did not ignite. I ran down the path, vaulting over rocks and turning corners. The distance never closed, and I never got closer to her. The ferryman led others aboard. My mother stood in the bow and looked past into the doors beyond. There were many doors. Some were wooden, others stone, silver, or carved obsidian. No door was made of a metal more precious than silver, nor did they hold any precious gem. I did not know where she was going. I wanted to be with her, talk with her, bring her back. We could do this together. We could work it out together. I turned another corner and ran into the statue of an angel. It was mm, classic, like the angels I saw at the entrance of the church. Curly hair, calm eyes, and dressed in that strange flowing gown I doubted any human had ever worn in history. Its wings spread out, and between the hands and the wings, I saw no way to get past. The sides of the path were sheer up and down and I would not throw myself down to try and get past. It would be suicide in the land of the dead. I wept, throwing myself at the feet of the angel. I muttered words and threats and imprecations that I won't repeat. I was a mess, a horrid, disgusting pile of flesh writhing on the ground of the shores of the sticks in tears. What sort of man of God was I to act like this, or require my own mother to sacrifice herself for me? It was the way of the world for parents to sacrifice for their children, but this hurt. What was I to do? What kind of life could I live if I bore this weight? Something natural had been twisted all my life. No father, and when I discovered his name, I also discovered he meant to sacrifice me. He took my mother and forced her to bear a child for the single purpose of burning me on the altar. Perhaps for immortality, perhaps for evil's own sake, a part of me couldn't tell what was a lie promised by demons, or something that could be true if only enough blood was spilt. The Grand Masons had done this for years. Who knows how long? All these secret organizations were the same. Take some old idea and claim to be its successor, and it doesn't matter what secret knowledge they use as long as they pull people from Christ and set them on the path to hell. It was just fakes all the way down. I did not know why the Grand Masons had something more. Why were they allowed more powers than some pathetic club that claimed heredity from the Templars? What patron was allowed to give them power and might in their time? 
hatred blossomed in my heart. I swore murder, if such a thing could be called murder. My father bred me to die for him. My mother had descended into hell to break the chain between me and him. Whatever strange spells would be broken by her actions and free me from him, I did not know. I did not know whether any connection really existed. I had never felt it. Perhaps it was something others could see. Perhaps something I called natural, but they would call unnatural. I didn't know. How can a man truly judge his own soul? The weight of seeing my mother on the ferry broke me. I fell senseless to the ground. I woke up. I was back in the foyer, outside the sticks and outside my mother's tomb. The door was closed to me. The white-haired, ram-horned demon watched me wake up. She seemed uh, nervous. I ignored her and walked up the stairs back up the church. A part of me resented the angel, but I said nothing to the statues as I left. I am now not so wracked with sorrow and anger. They saved my life. My mother's car had documents in it and a card to a motel outside St. Louis. I arranged for the car to be taken to a safe house. There might be something more hidden within it. I found her diary in her motel room. She expected to go down there and die. She knew this would hurt me, that I would find some way to get close to her before. Uh, she had gotten wind of the purge of the other paranormal Pinkertons and had hidden herself. Her warnings were uncommunicated to the rest because the Grand Masons and their allies had attacked Central first. Or had been there for years, roots infiltrating the organization top to bottom. There were fights and adventures in there that I had no clue about. She never spoke to me about them. She believed that I was doomed to die as a sacrifice to favor the Grand Masons and my father, Jeremiah Pike that my fate had been sealed in chains of iron, what spells cast over her pregnant womb were more than just some demon-inspired mumbo-jumbo. When she wanted me to find a better life so many months ago, she had already planned to descend. I know, a part of me is severely damaged. I can't live that suburban life. I don't sleep so much as bury myself into one of my bunkers and close the iron doors above my head. I have never loved a woman. I have never made anything. I have nothing to mark my life besides the holes in the ground where my dead body will lie until Judgment Day. Not even Control knows all of them. The Grand Masons, Jeremiah Pike, made my mother who she was. She made me who I was. Some sort of sin is being passed down from generation to generation. It ends with me. What was worse... They did not have to be so evil. America was prosperous when they were children. Jeremiah Pike could have made a name for himself, a business, more and more. No, he had to seek something denied man by God, and he was still hurting people. He was still laying damage down so that a mother laid down her life for her son needlessly. She did not even leave a body for me to bury. I have to make the Grand Masons pay. I have to stop their plans, their evil, the pain they spread. Control, I know you've spent a lot of favors to get us back up to speed. 
asked Calhoun, or days, or anyone, pay any price to get me a location of a Grand Mason base lab, or whatever, it doesn't matter. There's something, a lead, a hint, a whisper. Suspicious-looking hole in the ground will do. Just give me them. Give them to my hand, and I'll make them pay for every crying orphan, weeping widow, and heartbroken father. I'll make them pay for what they did to my family. I'm not shedding tears anymore. I'm gonna shed their lifeblood. Jack Morrow, out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. A license under an attribution non-commercial, share-alike international license. This episode was written by Ben Wheeler and is performed by the same. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Kim Dickerson performs our audio editing. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, or listen to us on unauthorized Acast, iTunes, or Spotify. Contact us through Twitter at, at Pinkerton's Ghosts, email us at Pinkerton's Ghosts at gmail.com, or send us noble messenger possums with messages strapped to their backs. Don't worry, they know how to find us. Thank you for listening, and good luck.